From Boss Track, it's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. I'm your host, Michelle Harris. In this episode, I had a wide-ranging conversation about remote leadership with Amy Robinson. I've been looking forward to our conversation for quite a while now. Amy and I talk about her experience leading remotely and how she's approached team development and building culture when everyone works in different places. Before we jump into our conversation, here's a quick background on Amy. Amy Robinson is an operations executive in the startup space with a background in fostering customer relationships, team and personnel development, and planning for growth. Amy has led teams for technology and beverage brands in the startup space and for prominent retailers such as Apple and Build-A-Bear. And she's here to share what she's learned from her wide-ranging experiences. So without further delay, I bring you my conversation with Amy Robinson. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. I know we've been talking about it for a while, and I'm so glad we finally made it happen. And I appreciate you being on. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited myself. I've been really looking forward to talking about some of my favorite subjects. Well, I'd love to start by having you explain to the audience a little bit about your background. I know we're going to talk about remote work and leadership in a remote environment. So it might help for them to get a good feel of your, how you lead and, you know, what your experience has been. Happy to. So my experience is really about as varied as you can get. (laughs) I've done everything from managing teams in-house of over 800 staff to where I currently am, a remote job of under 15, where everybody is in a different city. I've spent a lot of time in operations, both HR and vendor relations, project management. And, you know, through all of that, the realization that no matter how big your team is, no matter if you're seeing each other over camera or in person, you know, basically at the end of the day, it's, it's the same thing. You know, everybody at the end of the day wants to do a good job and what it takes in order to do that, you know, comes down to a lot of communication training and, you know, and, and it's been an interesting shift in what that looks like in this, in this type of environment where you don't always have the opportunity to pull someone aside and give them a quick note, having to be more organized and more formal is, is, you know, sort of the way things have drifted. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. You know, when I look back at the in-person opportunities, you know, pulling somebody aside for a quick note doesn't always resonate in the same way as setting up some formal time to meet with them. You know, it's not necessarily showing that you honor and value their time when, you know, you don't make it a point to plan for it. So I think the shift in terms of of people development, there's been some really good things that have have come out of of the remote environment. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging into some of that. And just so you you were in more of a like retail industry originally, and it looks like you've kind of shifted more to startup 
companies in the past few years? Yeah, exactly. You know, for me, the important thing is that I'm proud of what I'm doing, that I'm representing a brand that I believe in. And that's taken me everywhere from electronics to, you know, I worked in children's industries for a while. I moved from big companies to startups when I really realized what was most important to me was having a seat at the table and having a voice. You know, it's challenging in big companies. You can have the best idea in the world, but it can take six months to get through the email chain of who you need to talk to in order for your voice to be heard. And in that startup environment, it's great because it's it can take one phone call to get to the top. And, you know, I've really found that that's what's most important to me in a role is, is being able to really design my own destiny and, and play a key role in the success of the entire team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I was in more mid-sized companies that were maybe a spun off from another company, or they were just like in significantly high growth mode that their teams were not caught up with the size of the company or you know where the company was going. And that was always a constant conversation is especially to like our up and coming leaders and some of the more like senior staff people was about all the experience they were able to get because they were involved in so many different things that they would never get involved with, with larger companies. So I, I agree with you there. It's a, it's a much more dynamic and much more, it's like a resume builder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's important to work for some of those big established companies. There's a reason they are successful. So I think that there's a lot of value, especially earlier in your career to be part of, you know, one of those big, almost machines, because it's really, you know, it's aspirational to see every company started, you know, with a couple of people and turned into some of the massive, massive, you know, projects that they are today. And so, you know, unfortunately you don't get the opportunity to sit down with the people that, that molded it often, but I think there's a lot to learn from those big organizations and just the opportunity to see different leadership styles, you know, in some of those big corporations, you can have, you know, 20 plus leaders that you can really start to identify, you know, their style really resonates with me. That's the type of leader I want to be. So I think it's, I think it's great to, to have that opportunity as a long-term, I never saw myself retiring from, you know, one of those big monster companies. I really saw that as as a personal learning and development experience for myself and, and value everything I took out of that and more appreciate that I'm not there anymore. And now I'm in an environment where, you know, I feel listened to, I feel heard, I feel, uh, you know, that, that I can see the, the results of my efforts so quickly because things can turn around on a dime. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect perspective. And I appreciate you adding that because I mean, that gives somebody to like, if you're building something, what are you aspiring to build to and learning from the good things, but also learning from what you saw as mistakes and giving you that solid foundation. So I, I love that perspective. So you mentioned that your current team is a team of 15. Can you maybe describe what your team looks like today if everybody is working 
at home, if you have some people in the office, uh, you know, that's, that'd be a, a good starting point because I, I, and I wanted to say, I didn't say this before, but a lot of questions we do get is about leading in a work from home environment, even after, you know, it's been two and a half years for some people that they've been away from the office. And I, I don't think that, you know, everybody was really just scrambling and trying to figure things out at first. And now it's like, okay, this might be more of a long-term strategy. So like, how do I really get myself organized and, and how do I lead most effectively in this environment now that it's going to be long-term? So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about this because it has been such a a, such it's it's a topic on everybody's minds still. So so I'd love if you could maybe describe the the team that you're leading today and what that looks like. Yeah, I you know currently I'm with a small team, which means that a significant portion of my team is is executive, and the largest section is the sales section. So in many senses, it's easier than a number of situations that friends of mine are in. You know, I have a sales team that is very goal-driven. I can see right away whether they're successful in their role or if they need help in their role. And then I have an executive team that isn't necessarily, you know, my top priority to manage them, but managing up is what has been the biggest surprise in the remote environment. You know, what I found is my sales team are road warriors. They're used to being on the road. They've basically been living remote their entire careers. And so for them, you know, it honestly doesn't take much to keep them engaged. You know, the fact that I am here and I'm seeing, okay, you did great here and I'm making note of it. What's going on here? Well, how can I help you? And then just little things, you know, I send everybody birthday cake and a card on their birthday, you know, and so for them, that's more than they've gotten in most of their roles. They're, they're used to a, you didn't meet your goals, you're going to get fired. That's, that's sort of the development and communication they've had in the past. So coming from, you know, a place where development is embraced, you know, is, is refreshing and it's been well-received, but the funny thing to me has been the other end of my team who are all used to working in an office so they don't understand how to function and how to support the team and in really how to evaluate performance when somebody's not right in front of them mm -hmm. and so our probably our biggest sort of learning curve was you know getting the executive team to stop undermining what the what the remainder of the team is trying to do and i see that a lot throughout the remote industry you know many of the articles i'm reading are are you know about there's so many different spy programs that you can install in your team's computer so you can see how many keystrokes they're hitting and all of these things and you know and cameras on or cameras off for zoom what does it mean you know your team's not not actually engaged if the camera's off and so, you know, there's, there's been a lot of mistrust built up unnecessarily. And I see it predominantly in that sect that's not used to working remotely and is used to, you know, just looking over, you know, a cubicle and seeing somebody typing, okay, so they must be working. 
And, you know, and it's just put a lot of the workforce on the defensive of why are you counting the number of keystrokes? If I can get something done in 10 versus 100, what does it matter, you know, what I do with the other 90? And so, and I'm 100% on the, you know, on the team of trust your people, unless they give you reason not to. And so it's been a lot of conversations and a lot of development you know, with the executive team and exactly with exactly that, that, you know, you don't have to watch somebody to understand whether they're working or not. If, you know, if they're not producing, then they're not working. Yeah. And a lot of, and why are they not producing? Well, probably self-fulfilling prophecy. And a lot of times you've, you've accused people of not doing their job. So what incentive is there for them to do their job? So I spent a lot of time talking about conversations like, you know, the whole on camera versus off camera, you know, there's a big thing. Why does anyone care if my camera's on? Well, you know, it's a difference between me talking to a person and talking to a black screen. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not assuming that if your camera's off, it means that you're not working, but understand my experience with our conversation is significantly different if I'm looking at you versus looking at a black screen. So, you know, it's, I found a big necessity to actually explain more because I think we've all been put on such, you know, sort of a defensive position of the reason you want me to do this is because you don't trust me. So mm-hmm. even more than, than, you know, having to work on development, it's, it's been a communication has been so heightened in what, yeah. it, what it looks like, what it needs to be and in, in how often. Yeah, I, that's so, you, you, you covered a lot of topics right there <laughs> that are, that are so polarizing. You know, one particular thing that I've, I've talked to quite a few people about is the cameras on cameras off. And, you know, you see on social media, the, the videos about the distrust and okay, I don't, I'm not going to be on the, I'm not going to be on the video. Like, why do I need to be on the video and, or show my face and, I think there's just such a component to like building a team that works together well and trusts each other that, you know, you being able to see, I mean, maybe not for all calls, but you know, some of the calls you just, you need to see somebody and like to build, like it's just human nature, like to build that trust and and be able to work well together. And it's so interesting too, that you talk about communication because it definitely is something, I mean, I think that's really the only way to get past it besides being a, an empathetic leader and like caring about them, but it's also explaining like why, like, so I, you know, what, so with the leadership team, when you're giving them feedback, can you tell me like, or tell the audience like a specific example of something that was going wrong and kind of the feedback you gave? Yeah, I I work a lot with the CEO of our team. He came from the restaurant business and he's just a really nice guy. He's really hands-on. And so he doesn't understand how to, you know, balance that holding your team accountable with appreciating what your team is doing when it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like, well, you know, I bust all of the tables for this one person. We don't have any tables. <laughs> we have, you know, we have a product that's in market and, you know, we're not gonna, we're not going to be in the same room. 
So it's for him, it was really taking his specific instances where, you know, and it, of, of he put everybody off by something he said or the way he put it and just reframing it, you know, saying, okay, you know, he, he's, I'm the CEO. I have the right to know what everyone's doing. Nobody said you didn't. Let's talk about the difference between what are you doing and is there something I can help you with? You know, you're going to get the same risk. You're going to get to the same place, but not in what are you doing? Everybody jumps to why does he assume I'm not doing anything? And, you know, I see you're working really hard. What can I help you with? You're going to get the same response, but you're also going to get the team's appreciation, the team's respect, and, you know, and they're going to want to tell you what they're doing and share with you. And so it was, it was how to have soft skills over, you know, Slack messages and email and, you know, and not, you don't have the opportunity to show people and it's probably not going to come back, you know, especially in the way our industry is, there's no need for it. Having an office restricts us to everybody being in the same city, limits you to what talent's available. So there's really no reason for us to consider moving back into an office environment. It's, It's definitely been probably the biggest project is getting the executive leadership team to understand, you know, the value of, of communication and how quickly you can lose your audience or how quickly you can gain lifetime, you know, a lifetime employee. Yeah. So was your team in the office before 2020? A portion of the team was in the office. You know, the original, the founders had an office in Chicago and a few years before they sort of moved to other states, but they would have monthly in-person meetings. And so the, you know, again, looking at the expense of flying all over versus a Zoom call, you know, you're, is you're going to get to the same place if you handle it in, you know, an organized fashion, you know, and that's been another thing that's, that's popped up with the team, you know, is, is the whole meeting piece, you know, we started out with, we had meetings almost every day because nobody really knew how to function when you couldn't walk over to a, a desk and there was no meeting by the water cooler and no chit chat over lunch. And so, you know, it, it, took a bit to find what's the right cadence for meetings. You know, one of, I think the most important things I learned was on a bus to a store meeting when I worked in retail, I ran into one of the employees and we used to spend weeks planning these meetings and we'd have entertainment and there was a break for a little nosh and fun things happening. And, you know, he looked at me, he goes, I just hope my time is valued. I don't need jokes. I don't need anything. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear the information about how the team is doing, how the company's doing, and that's it. And I thought, we're, why are we deciding what's important to the team? Let's ask them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so then it, it took us a little bit of time of actually asking the team, you know, how often do you want to be communicated to? Is it better for you to receive an email that you can read in your own time or you know do you want that face-to-face time and so that was that was the piece that it took you know it took a little while to get that executive team to really understand that it it doesn't you know for a while you just couldn't all fly somewhere to meet in person yeah 
but at what point are you meeting so often that you're not valuing people's time anymore? Right. And I think that was the biggest challenge was, was finding the val that balance of valuing time and enough communication that everybody felt like they were all working, you know, for the same goal. Yes, one, that is one of the things I heard early on from, you know, even my network and they're more at the executive level. They were in meetings all day. Like it was like, they didn't even have time to go to the bathroom between the meetings and then, you know, to grab lunch, forget about it because they, you know, you got such a, you know, if you had any time available for lunch and by the end of the day, it's like, okay, now I get, have to get my work, work done and you're already past business hours. So I can definitely see like what we're seeing today with people, you know, being burned out and just ready to leave. I could definitely, I mean, not that there weren't things going before that as well, but I can certainly, I certainly think that can attribute to all the burnout that people were experiencing. And I, I was thinking back too to something you said about not being able to look over somebody's cubicle wall to see how, what they were doing. And there's something I, I was talking to somebody and it was like a simple analogy, not analogy, but it was like, if you're worried about how to make sure people are getting their work done, working remotely, how did you make sure they were doing their work when you were in the office? Because it's not like you were stand. I mean, most people are not standing or looking over the cubicle, making sure they're, I mean, they still had the same reports to do and they had, you know, had to get the same things done and yeah, you're not in the same office, but you're, you're, it's not really that different. I don't know if you agree with that. Oh, totally. One, you know, an example that I used with, with the current CEO who thought that he always knew what everybody was doing when they were in the same office. When I worked in technology, one of the supervisors used to have a screen and he would just type complete gibberish across the entire screen. So it looked like he was doing something in coding. And knowing that none of us were, you know, any anybody supervising him was not from technology. We were from leadership. And so everybody would walk in, they'd see, you know, things that they didn't understand on the screen, assuming he was coding and would just walk out of the room. And he, you know, well, he told me that he'd been doing it for some time before he even sort of fessed up as a joke. I personally... I didn't care because he got his work done. He had a body of work. He was able to finish it really quickly. And he knew if it didn't look like he was doing something, he would be tasked with more, you know, with no additional pay for that, no appreciation for getting things done faster. So he would just make it look like he, you know, he was working. And I said, when you were in the same room with people, you weren't guaranteed you knew what they were doing. You just thought you did. So let's move on from the false sense. And yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we should have always had goals in place for our team. Are they meeting them? Are they not? And, you know, and when it was an office environment, I found that it was, we were less likely to have very specific goals and steps in place. And, you know, you need to be a little bit more disciplined in that sense remotely and I look at it and I think what a disservice I did to people saying, you know, not giving them sort of specific steps to take to get there, not always telling them what it was expected, not always scheduling a check-in, you know, just assuming I could look over the cubicle 
And they would ask me a question if they needed help. And I would know what was going on by looking at a screen full of gibberish and assume they were coding. And so there's, there's so many learns that I have from working in that other environment that I didn't realize until I started working remotely that I did so much less than I thought I did. Yeah, I agree. So one of the things that we, we tell new leaders is that with their new team is that they should have clear agreements with them where it's like, you know, not a contract, but so, you know, let's think in terms of what people know, like a contract, like, okay, these are the things that you're responsible for. These are the due dates. These are the times that I'm going to check in with you. These are the times we're going to do our, you know, have our one-on-one. So it's like upfront expected. And then you, and it's really even a control for you as a leader that you're not feeling like you have to ask like every two days, like what's going on? How's it going? Like keeps you from micromanaging because everybody like understands the expectations up front and you know that you've had that communication with them and trust that they're going to get it done. Of course, if they don't, then that's another story. And then, you know, you're providing the feedback and, and whatever process you're going to go through. But it reminds like what you said, kind of reminds me of that, that process. There's got to be a better term for it, but. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's just such a better experience for the employee. You know, I always thought of myself as so approachable that I assume if anybody ever has a problem, they'll come to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, not everybody is comfortable doing that and it puts them in an, an uh, you know an uncomfortable position of of having to initiate that conversation instead of having that time scheduled where we're having a check-in and we're talking about the process this isn't personal this isn't a failing on your part this is where you're at with the process do you need my support in any way which everybody does and it just is so much it's such a better experience for the employee when they know, okay, this is the opportunity to discuss, you know, this one part I might be struggling with, you know, I don't have to see if, if my, my manager has time to talk to me right now about it. Is this the right time to talk about it? You know, all of those, the ambiguity is completely taken out. And that's such a tough place for your team to be living in that ambiguous state. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And it's something that I think leaders need to understand. Like, it's not necessarily that they're afraid of talking to you. It's just that they're afraid that you're so busy. And is it the right time? Like, that's a component that I think a lot of leaders don't think about, like when they're like, why didn't you bring this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So making that time and space every week to have to know that they you know, if they felt like it wasn't the right time, that they know they have that time where they can talk to you about, about things. That's, I like, I like that you brought that up. I'm, I'm wondering too, it's something you not want really wondering, but you brought up earlier about not really caring about if they're doing something personal because they're, they have a job to get done. And as long as they're getting the job done, And I think that's such an interesting shift from kind of as I was coming up in leadership roles myself, I think in the past, a lot of the thought has been around, you owe me a certain number of hours of work and not necessarily, you know, you owe me these things that I hired you for. So it was always like, I think it just developed 
I mean, I don't, I, probably because, you know, we started out of like the industrial times when everybody was at a machine and aware or and the operation on the operations floor and they were getting paid by the hour. But like when you think about the white collar work or salaried work, I mean, it's just a different mindset that I don't, I don't think people, a lot of people can make that differentiate. And I don't know how to get past that sometimes, because I think there are a lot of people like, even like you said, that do still think like that, like you owe me this number of hours, not like this work. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that, you know, initially I think, you know, so many roles could have been remote so long ago, but the decision makers are from a time when, you know, remote wasn't an option, so they don't understand. And it was exactly that, you know, the, the lawyer that got promoted was the one that put in the most billable hours. And, you know, the, the manager that was working the hardest was the one that was there from open to close. And it wasn't, you know, it was not, you know, I think a lot of it was the idea of, of observational versus data. You know, the, the I've, I've often found executive teams aren't necessarily as, as interested in data as what they're seeing. You know, once you get to a certain level, you have to understand that you can't personally be part of everything. And I think that's what makes a successful executive is, is somebody who can balance that you know, I see everybody working hard and I see that, you know, the numbers are successful, but so much of it was exactly that restaurant manager that, you know, if somebody is leaning against a wall, they could be cleaning, they could be helping another table, they could be getting ice, they could be taking out the trash. Like it was always, you know, when I worked in restaurants way back, it was full hands in, full hands out. So it didn't matter what you were carrying as long as you had something in your hand. And so we always had this joke of we would carry around a dustpan and everybody just assumed you were looking for a broom. And so we looked <laughs> like the most productive people because we were about to sweep as soon as we found the broom. When in reality, you know, it was the same thing as having pretend code on the screen and everything else. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's been a struggle and I don't, I don't have the answer to yeah. how to make that leader that is so used to trusting the observational part and how much the observation, you know, it, it's a component. It's not the whole picture. And at the end of the day, the only thing, you know, that really does matter are those bottom line numbers. These are businesses at the end of the day. And so if somebody's working 100 hours, but they're, you know, producing less than somebody working 10 hours, you know, getting past that, but they're working so hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, generally that person that's working so hard is in the wrong role. It doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes them in the wrong role. And, you know, we far too often just look at that, the effort put in as opposed to the outcome. And, it, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it is, it is very tough to balance, but that's a conversation that I have often, you know, with my boss of, you know, well, he, you know, we have, we have a couple of our team members that are just nice laid back people. They don't, they're not excitable. And so he takes that as they're not, they're not connected, they're not working hard. But 
they deliver the top results. And so I keep having to bring them back to here are the results. But every time we have a meeting, they're not on the camera. When they are on the camera, they're not looking. Okay, let's have a conversation with them about, you know, it, it, it makes my meeting experience less successful that you're off camera, but let's not take that to a place where we're evaluating their performance because that does not affect their performance. It, ex it affects your experience. So it's really tough to, to get those leaders to understand the difference between, you know, their perception and, you know, what, what the end of the day, the data is telling us. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to, do they fully understand what this person is responsible for? Yeah. And that's what I find. I have as many conversations with, you know, managing up of this is the expectation of the role. Can we, there's nowhere in this job description that says camera has to be on. So it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's always been a challenge and I, I don't feel like it's changed with the remote. I feel like I'm having the exact same conversations I did, you know, on premise as I am on screen yeah. with how to, how to evaluate performance. That's so funny. You brought back a really, really old memory of when I was pregnant with my first son, I <laughs> was very, very pregnant. And the president of the company, I was for different reasons, I was working as a temporary, I was an accountant for them on a temporary basis. And they wanted to hire me that my, my executive wanted to hire me. And the feedback that she got from the president was that she walks really slow. <laughs> like she moves really slow. So his, like in his brain, it was like, she must work really slow. But I was like, but of course, you know, I showed, you know, amazing results and you know, they wanted to hire me, but you know, that one perception of somebody moves slowly through the hallway because she's, you know, seven, eight months pregnant. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, with the gener over time with generational changes, it will, maybe that's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's what I hope <laughs> that now, you know, people that have, have grown up in a different type of industry than, than we did have a little more appreciation for, you know, looking at the right, looking at the right aspects, you know, it, it's a job description. It's not you know, the speed in which somebody walks. And I, I, you know, I'm so empathizing with you. I, I, there's been just so many situations where I've either been the advocate for the person that's the slow walker, <laughs> you know, or I've been the slow walker myself. And it's, and it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see. And, you know, and I do hope that, that this virtual piece does help with that, with people having an, a better understanding. And I see it in, in, you know, in a lot of the companies my friends work for, where it, everybody had wanted to be per remote all along. There was no option for it or very limited option for it. And, you know, now the executive that thought he needed to see how fast you walked, realized that I'm saving millions of dollars in real estate costs and mm -hmm. 
I don't have jobs open for three months while I'm trying to find somebody in LA or New York. I can have somebody anywhere in the world mm-hmm. doing this job, you know? So I, I feel like that changes is, is being appreciated. And then I also have so many friends that now are, are in these really strange hybrid situations. Yeah, that is, that, that can be tough. I, I would, that's, I had some people that were remote and some people in the office and that presents some, some challenges, especially when, you know, some people that are, have to be in the office aren't even given the option to be able to work from home. It's, it's yeah. And tough. something that really interesting that I just heard from a friend this weekend, so I have a friend that, that works in an industry where certain people had to be there. So there's a chemical lab and there's mm-hmm. maintenance and those are all on-premise jobs. And the CEO last week just decided everybody had to come back to work. So all of a sudden, IT didn't have enough power cables for people to bring their computers in. And supervisors are saying, I... I'm going to have somebody working off of a laptop as opposed to the two screens they've now set up at home. And the first day that everybody came back, it was a struggle to find places to sit and you couldn't get a maintenance request in because the entire operations team was working on removing the COVID signage because it stressed out all of the remote workers when they saw all the COVID warnings. So they came in for a day, they left while operations removed all the signs that stressed them out. The people that had been there all along now had this animosity, you know, that they didn't before they've been there the whole time. And now you can't handle a sign, but it is really stressful when you haven't been in crowds for a couple years, you know, it's, it's probably the sign is an aspect of it, but let's, you know, appreciate the fact that they're going from, you know, maybe a spouse and some children to hundreds of people. Yeah. And that is really stressful. Yeah. Well, I'd love to t- talk about motivation. Like, how does that look different for you in a remote environment? Like how you motivate your team? I don't, I mean, if, if you think about like how you motivated prior to, to being remote in your previous jobs, like, is it different? You know what? It it might look different, but at the end of the day, it, it bottom lines at sort of treating people in the way they want to be treated. You know, everybody, we've learned a long time ago that people learn in different, in different ways. And so training caters to the visual, the auditory learner. And it's really the same thing I feel like with motivation in, in the remote environment. I constantly think back to that person on the bus that all they wanted is their time to be valued. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important to ask people, you know, what makes them happy and, and what do they need to stay engaged in work? You know, it, another conversation that I've had to have with my boss a number of times is that's not what people want to do. You know, he's, he's has teenage kids and they're big into gaming. So he keeps trying to set up these game nights with the kids or with the team. And I have to explain to him that our team has their own kids that they want to spend their evenings with. They do not want to be online doing games and he wants to do virtual happy hours. And I have to explain that we've all been on Zoom all day. The last thing we want to do is, is stay at our desk and have another Zoom. And so it's, it's, 
challenging in that managing up aspect, but I'm very clear that the most important part of motivation is what does motivate you? And I, I ask that question. You know, I, I had a call with the sales team and, and I just asked them, I said, what, what do I need to do more of? What do I need to give you? What's most important to you? Do you want to have a game night? 100% no. You know, and I said, this is, you know, this is a, a, a nothing come, leaves this room call. And so be honest with me because this is how you, I'm going to respect your time going forward. You know, what, what do you need? But, you know, they wanted more visibility into the marketing department. They would way rather have a 20 minute call with the marketing director than a cocktail with the CEO. Wow. And so, it ha and that hasn't changed. You know, I think it's, it's easier in a remote environment in a lot of senses because I can have a team of 12 and do 12 different things in a day to motivate them where, you know, when we were talking about in an office, you know, I couldn't have a birthday party for one in the break room while I had a download from the marketing director, you know, in a conference room while I had the CEO having a happy hour in another room. Virtually, you can do that. I can have 12 different events simultaneously, but it's still, it, it's, it is challenging to feel connected when you have never met the other people you're seeing on screen. Yeah. And that's a piece I hear a lot about from friends. And I worked for my company for a year before I met anyone else in person. And so I, you know, I've, I've feel like I've been successful at motivating people, but not necessarily at, you know, constantly being high touch with nothing will ever replace that in-person connection. You know, and especially with a lot of roles, starting remote has been the toughest part for that I've found when you can go an entire year without meeting somebody in person, it's hard to build that relationship where, you know, you have the side texts going during the meeting and you have, you know, the calls that aren't about work. That's, that's the piece that I found in terms of motivation that has been the hardest to, to generate virtually is there's no, there's no replacement for, you know, one night out at dinner, you'll be best friends for life. And I don't know how to create that in a virtual world. And, you know, and again, that's not what everybody wants. So it, to sort of decided the number of in-person meetings that, that we had was that no, I don't want to fly, leave my kids, figure out a dog sitter so we can do things that you can show me virtually. Yeah. Except that one night where everybody went out to dinner where we first flew in, where people that had only seen each other on screen finally got to meet each other. So I think it's I think it's key to make that that connection on a you know on a limited basis it doesn't need to be monthly meetings even quarterly i would say but you know i don't think that a team should go for an entire year without ever meeting in person and that's a struggle that i've sort of seen you know in the other sense of people that really haven't you know embraced the whole virtual they don't see any reason for anyone other than sales teams to travel and i hear a lot from my friends of I need to meet in person with my team 
just, yeah. you know, we get so much more accomplished in a quarterly in-person meeting in one day than we do in a week's worth of Zoom calls. Yeah, it was so that kind of leads into, I was curious, you mentioned like no, no game nights, no happy hour. And like when people think about team building, they think about those types of events or those types of activities. Like what have you guys done for those team building activities, if any, or do you find that it's not necessary? The connection that, that they appreciate is, is being part of the business and feeling like their voice is heard. Hmm. Their sales, it's a sales team, but just giving them visibility to, to marketing. I mean, first of all, they're the ones that are out in the field. So they have great ideas. Most companies don't ask their sales team for marketing ideas. They have a marketing team for that. So I found, you know, in, in my current environment, it, that it's much more important to make sure that they understand that their perspective and their voice is valued than, you know, it is to come up with games that we could play virtually together, which I'm, I'm personally not a fan of. It's not how I want to connect with my team. I've seen it done successfully where, you know, especially in an onboarding situation, I think it's great. It's a great way for a virtual team to be onboarded where they can all learn about each other in a fun way. After that, no, it's more, it's, you know, it's giving my time for, for you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's setting up a monthly town hall with the CEO so they can ask questions. You know, my team, I've, I've really realized they want their time valued and a valuable way to use their time is making them part of the company's success. Yeah. I don't know if it's like maybe just me personally, I'm, I'm for the games, but maybe, but I think like it's a good thing to do on a quarterly basis, like just so, you know, four times a year getting the, and maybe almost like where your friend was saying, they want to see their team in person, have that dinner on a quarterly basis, because you get that, that social time that you can get to know each other and build that team. And, and it helps like if you have teams that are constantly bringing new people in for people to get to know somebody a little, a little better. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you on a quarterly basis. Some sort of connection has to be made, whether, you know, if, if, you're not in a position where you can do an in-person dinner, then, you know, some sort of a game is the option. It's just not every week and not every month. Well, yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> what it was, pulling it out of an every week. And we're in every different time zone. You know, we have East Coast, West Coast, and Midwest. So, you know, three in the afternoon for one person is six o'clock at night or the other team member, or, you know, somebody tried to do a happy hour that it started at 11 a.m. for the team. And like, and that was a mom that had to pick her kids up from school. She's not about, she's not going to day drink and then go get her <laughs> yeah. kids from school. So yeah, <laughs> she gets to watch everybody else drink. And, you know, so it's, it, it, it's tough. It, it's a tough one to have, you know, figure out those, those fun connections. But, you know, we, I just, at the end of the day, I have no opinion on whether we do it or not. It's entirely up to the team if they want it or not. 
-hmm. you know, so I've done anonymous surveys of, you know, what would you rather, you know, and in a lot of senses, they're like, I'd much rather have, you know, a DoorDash gift card than I would a happy hour and it costs the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so there's no team connection made there, but, you know, I've, I've given that person what that person wants. And so it's really, it is finding that balance. You know, you do, if I, like I said, I went a year before I met anybody and it was a tough year. Yeah, It was hard not having friends at work. And so there probably could have been some sort of a group event earlier on in my career that would have made my role much more interesting, much earlier than it did. Yeah. And I, I can't believe it. I just realized the time. Are you okay to stay on? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm so enjoying this conversation. I did want to ask you, and I don't know, I guess this might not really apply to your team, but like one, and I mean, and you're talking about like your, when you were working remotely for a year and you didn't know anybody personally, have you noticed like a psychological impact from people working from home? Like, I don't know, just like the lack of that social in-person or maybe like the overly stressful days that it's full of meetings. Have you seen that? And how how have you seen people overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I've really seen it recently as things are moving to back to an office or hybrid. You know, I maybe didn't notice it as much in the last few years when everybody was jumping up and down about not having to spend money on pants and not having to spend money on travel. And, you know, all that commute time could be spent either working or with family. It didn't really, I don't think it really presented itself as much until recently when an entire team only worked in office for a day said that the COVID signs were too stressful and had to go home, <laughs> you know, it, I'm, I'm now really recognizing how hard it is for the people that have been in office all the time, which they got to sit wherever they wanted. And now all of a sudden, you know, they have to share a desk and it really had much more of an impact than I think a lot of us gave credit to of working so solitary and all of a sudden have to go back to, you know, if you're in a big city, a crowded commute, traffic, all of those stresses that you sort of forgot about before you even get in the door. And then, you know, I I missed those water cooler conversations. I didn't miss, you know, the, the sort of, you know, conflicts of, of, you know, cooking salmon in the microwave in the break room, you know, that (laughs) all of those things that, that you sort of forgot because so many things were so much more important. But I, I do think that it has really had a dramatic effect on, you know, on people's ability to socialize. And I think we're just now discovering the extent of it. And I've seen a lot of, I mean, I know for, for me personally, you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts on, on just thought process, because I know at the end of the day, for decades, I worked in this environment and it was just fine for a relatively short time. I didn't. So I should be going 
back to my comfort zone, why is it so difficult? And, you know, so for, for me individually, I've been spending a lot of time just listening to different, different, you know, just talking about how to, how to, how to reframe your brain to understand what this change is and that it's not actually a change. It's, you know, it's sort of, it should be back to normal and it should be comfortable, but acknowledging and saying out loud, it's not, it's hard. Yeah. Do you, not to put you on the spot, but do you remember like maybe which podcast was most helpful for you in, in thinking through that? Yeah. I mean, one that I loved was Guy Kawasaki has a podcast, Remarkable People. Hmm. And there was one about wisdom of surfing. His name is Abraham, I think it's Rastakowski, but he's, you know, he's a highly educated person as well as comes from like the first family of surfing and, and just has a great perspective on, you know, taking things as you go, you can't control everything. You can't control the weather, you can't control the waves, but when you get a good one, embrace it. And, and that's a lot of it is, is what's out of your control, accepting that. And, you know, when it's good, realizing and living in the moment. And I spent, you know, I, I've just seen so many people that are so worried about the commute or so worried about the sign that the actual being back in a community they're missing the joys that they're, that, you know, that does present yeah. so I, I, the surfer style. I think that's been my actual most helpful. I love that. I was actually, I had lunch with somebody today and we were talking exactly about that, about the mindset around things you don't have control over and changing your focus on things that you can, can control or, you know, do bring you joy. So I, I'm going to have to check that one out. I haven't listened to any of his podcasts. So I'm going to follow yeah, up with that one. Yeah, definitely. He's probably one of my favorites because one thing I did learn that being home by myself working, I have podcasts playing because it kind of simulates that office environment of people talking. So I found I was more productive with podcasts than with music. And so I have, I, I generally have a podcast on during the day. And he's definitely one of my favorites. He's he's a OG Silicon Valley guy who is also a surfer and a real yeah. person and just has a the expanse of of interesting people he interviews is, is yeah. fantastic. I love that idea of having a pet because that is one of the things like working from home and sometimes I actually work in a, a shared workspace because I need that activity around me and all those people, but I never thought to put on a podcast. I mean, I'm sure that would satisfy my need to have that, you know, background noise and things going on around me. Yeah, I, I do it a lot. There's, there's another podcast called Real Gossip that is literally just people telling somebody's gossip story about somebody <laughs> I don't know. It's people I don't know telling a story that was told by someone that I don't know. And it, it just makes me feel like I'm back in an environment with people hearing inane gossip. That's funny. Well, I never heard of that one either. I'd love like getting these ideas. Thank you so much for sharing those. I think because of time, I'd like to shift away from remote work unless there's like something else that we didn't cover that you think is important for the audience to hear. No, I think I, 
think that we really had a nice conversation around it. <laughs> I'd love for you to share what is one thing when you moved into a leadership role you wish you would have known that you know now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I really wish I would have known that I can trust myself. I I would stay up at night second guessing every conversation and every decision I made. And it took me a long time to realize I wasn't curing cancer. I wasn't solving the holes in the ozone layer of the rainforest, (laughs) that it's okay to make mistakes. You always learn more from mistakes than successes, but I really wish it hadn't have taken me as long as I had to trust myself. And that's what I would tell, I would tell anybody starting out in leadership, trust yourself because either you're going to be successful or you're going to learn something. Yeah. Yeah. And I love like the idea of if you're afraid to make a decision, like start it, like taking baby steps, like make a decision about something small. That's like, doesn't have a big impact and kind of see how that feels and just kind of continue it, you know, being very intentional about, you know, moving your decision making up and in terms of like importance, I suppose. Yeah. And, and, and really understanding the difference between owning your decision and obsessing over your decision. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Do you have, did you have a mentor or do you have a mentor that you attribute your growth or success to in your career? You know what? I've had so many over the years, you know, I've had I was really fortunate when I was early in my leadership career, you know, my first management role was in a restaurant and it came about because I was such a terrible server, but everybody liked me so much. So they couldn't let me wait on tables anymore, but they wanted to keep me around. So they promoted me to manager. And I had the general manager of this restaurant I worked at, his name is Mark. And, you know, even though it's been decades, I learned so much about empathy. He taught me nothing about how to write a schedule. He never taught me how to, you know, discipline somebody. He taught me how to lead. You know, he, he didn't manage people. He led people. And, uh, you know, I really can go all the way back and attribute how conscious I am of being a role model, leading by example, and making time for people and making them feel like they are the only thing that matters when it is our time, I can absolutely attribute to him. And I'm, I'm thankful that, that I had the opportunity and like such a early part of my career to work with somebody who, who understood the value of empathy. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's like, so, so fortunate that you had that person so early in your career just to learn something like that, especially like if it's a lot, a lot of people don't learn that until not too late in their career, but much later. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the, the most, the most often I give the constructive feedback of you don't need to be mean to get people to respect you. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's always, that's, that's sort of that first place that leaders go is being that tough guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
don't assume everybody's going to walk all over you. Assume that they want to do a good job for a good leader and be that leader. Yeah, I mean, completely the opposite. If you're mean, the tough guy, then people don't respect you. And, you know, they do, they might do what they, you want them to do, but probably not at the level that you want them to do it at, or they could do it at, and they'll resent you. And eventually, I mean, it's like a downward cycle, I think. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. What is, do you have like a daily routine, maybe in the morning, evening, in the middle of the day that you attribute your well-being or your sanity <laughs> to? Yeah. Yeah. There were definitely a couple things that, that I learned throughout this process. You know, the most important piece that I learned, and it was from my nephew, was have a separate space to work. Mm. You know, my first probably year of remote I was either in my bedroom or on the sofa with my laptop. And until I set up a proper separate space, and I'm in a New York City apartment, so there's not a lot of room, but you know, it doesn't take much to carve out a just separate niche from where you know you eat or where you watch TV or where you sleep. It has to be a separate space. And then it's, you know, I I find it probably one of the most helpful things I do is every Sunday for one hour. I look at my week, you know, I look at, I'm, I'm big on organization, both use utilizing technology and writing things on post-its. So every Sunday, you know, I take my post-its, I look at my Trello boards and, you know, spending anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour on Sunday saves me that Monday stress of like what's in front of me. Mm -hmm. And, and then just having setting time limits, you know, I, I working with, I'm the only one on the East Coast sometimes in some of the projects I'm doing. And so I'm like, oh, it's so nice. I have such a quiet morning. But then, you know, at seven o'clock, people are still pinging me and I'm trying to have dinner. And so it was really important for me to set those boundaries of, you know, these are the hours that I'm working. Because I found that, I, you know, I'm working seven, eight at night, and then I'm still getting up early starting my day at the same time but then I'm resenting them for living on a different coast in a different time zone and I'm like you know what and all it was 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 just a quick conversation of okay it's eight o'clock at night here so I'll get that in the morning because people aren't don't just don't realize I mean I don't think about the fact that I'm speaking to a different coast so uh, you know I made a conscious effort not to send communication prior to 9am in other people's time zones. And they respect the fact that after 5pm, my time zone. So it was really setting those limits for myself. I get so much more work done than I did stretching my day out. You know, you would think if you're working from, you know, 8am until 7pm, you'd get more done, but you don't. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I spent so much time just lamenting over what time it is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I love that the boundaries are are so important. I mean, in any environment, and I you know, it's, it's when you move up and you you become like you know like C suite or whatever you, I've seen it especially in like startup and high growth. They're working at two in the morning, and it's really a, a mindset to 
get an email at that time and think, oh my God, I do I need to do something about with this? And making sure that you know you have the conversation that I I know you're working around the clock, but this is what you know when I work. And then even with your own team, if you happen to say, you know, be working at eight o'clock at night, making sure that you're prefacing that email with, I, I don't expect an answer tonight. I just need to get this out because it's on, you know, on my brain. So, you know, let's talk about it tomorrow and just being very clear about that to help your team from feeling stressed that, you know, or, you know, because even if you set the boundaries and you get something like that, sometimes in the back of your brain, it's like, should I, or what happens if I don't? And yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. Yeah. I I find, I get, you know, text on a Sunday afternoon and I'm like, this is not time sensitive. Why am I getting a text on a Sunday afternoon? And all it would take is while I'm thinking of it, let's talk about it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I don't spend the next two hours going, why, why, why is this being said? It's not time sensitive. Why am I expected to work on a Sunday? And, you know, and just in, and I go down that rabbit hole unnecessarily. That's a really, that's, that's a great point that I'm going to be very conscious of myself. I've learned something, make sure when I, cause I do, you know, everybody has that. I woke up with this epiphany. I need to get it out there right now. Yeah. I love that you use post-it notes. It's so funny. I, I, so many people that I talk to still have things written down on post-it notes and like, I mean, I completely understand, like you have it right in front of you. Even if I opened the door to my office, my husband's computer has like little line of post-it notes on the bottom with like little checklists. It's like right in front of him. And it's, there's something so satisfying about ripping a post-it note in half. Yeah. So satisfying. I love it. I love it. So we mentioned that you listen to podcasts. Do you have any songs that get you like, give you energy, get you pumped up when you're feeling a little like sluggish in the day? Yeah. Yeah. I have a few different playlists for when I need to get moving, but I have to say that my best Monday morning, get myself motivated right now is Beyonce break my soul. Ah, uh-huh. It's got a great, like throwback to Donna summer kind of vibe and just that, that, that beat. Yeah. And I know it's, when I'm rolling slow from the living room to the, to the office, <laughs> that's, that's what I need to start out. That's a good one. You can never, never go wrong with Beyonce. Oh. Yeah. Her his formation was on my gym playlist and it still kind of pumps me up when, when I, when I hear it. And then something new that we've been asking our guests is, uh, is there anything under a hundred dollars that you've bought in the last year or two that you feel has like been a game changer for you and it has changed your your life in some way you know what I I I have to say my Amazon Echo Dot so it's a great sounding speaker for a very affordable price I got it on one of the prime sales for I think under forty dollars and when I'm in the middle of of a boring Excel spreadsheet and the podcast I'm listening to is droning on and I need that Beyonce kick. I don't have to stop what I'm doing. It's voice commanded and I can just switch to my get motivated song or I can switch to my wind down music as I'm getting towards the end of the day without having to stop what I'm doing. It's just voice command. Yeah, I love that. That's and my favorite lately. Perfect in time for Christmas. 
Yes. I'm sure Amazon will appreciate that. <laughs> and just to be clear, you don't work for Amazon. <laughs> I do not. I never have worked for Amazon, but I do enjoy that product. It is, yeah, me too. And it's definitely enhanced my workflow. I have to say, you know, I, I, I always had a portable speaker on my desk and I used to play podcasts and things through my phone and I'd stop 10 times a day to sort of scroll around and then I'd get distracted on, you know, looking at something else on my phone before I'd find a song and just being able to use the voice command. Mm -hmm. I, I finished the boring Excel spreadsheet so I can get on to something, you know, a more exciting aspect of my role, but I can change my music with, you know, I can change my vibe that easy. Yeah, we have a, an Alexa in the kitchen and my husband keeps unplugging it. So it's just like I talk to it and it doesn't respond. Have you, so we talked about podcasts. Do you have a book that you've read, maybe not even recently, like that you, that has made an impact on your leadership abilities or, or even if not book a podcast other than the one you mentioned that's made a difference for you? Yeah, I, I have to say in terms of books, I go on full distraction mode. You know, I'm not, I've, I've definitely purchased and donated a number of leadership books without, without reading them in the middle. I, I find I get much more out of either, you know, blog posts or really podcasts I find to be an exceptional way to digest that information. Yeah, books I'm on a fully on. on. I, I enjoy history and I found that I enjoy it much more in seeing it through somebody else's eyes. So I read a lot of biographies. Mm. And most recently I've gone through a stint of New York socialites through the decades. Yeah. Like everybody from Doris Duke to Patty Hearst and you know, seeing sort of how New York has changed based on, you know, some of the richest women <laughs> in the world and, and just what their experience looked like through the decades. Yeah. What, what are your go-to podcasts that you listen to? Well, Guy Kawasaki is always one. There's F Your Brain. I don't know if you've heard oh, that one. Yes. Love her. That's, I found a great one. That's one of the ones that, that I really realized I was digesting more information than I thought I was when, you know, I'm coming up with these great skills that only a life coach can teach you and stuff you should know if you've never listened to that one is one of my favorites it's every they've been around they're one of the sort of og of the podcast world and every episode is just something random like i was just listening to one on the history of vaudeville and, oh, interesting. you know, they have all sorts of ones. And the other one is 99% Invisible is another one hmm. that is a lot of sort of architecture and, and the host Roman Mars just has the most Zen voice that when I just need a calming voice in the background, 99% yeah. Invisible. 99% Invisible? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think I got some really good ones there. <laughs> Well, it's like way over our time. And I really, really appreciate you spending the time on here with me. Like, I, like I've said, I really have been looking forward to our conversation. I'm glad we finally made it happen. And I'm sure we could make this happen again and have even more to talk about. But Yeah, I mean, as this whole, you know, the whole workforce evolves, there's, const there's going to be so, you know, so many learns. I'm really, I, I'm, 
I'm in so many senses really reinvigorated in a leadership role because there's so many new opportunities. You know, it's not like you know, back in the day where you got a book on what color is my umbrella and you used it like a checklist. You know, there's such an opportunity to be creative and to be part of of changing, you know, how the workforce is viewed these days. And it's I'm really enjoying it. And this was wonderful. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it, to be part of the the change. But if people want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do that, if, if you're okay with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, either I always like connecting on LinkedIn. You know, I'm Amy Robinson on LinkedIn. And I also feel free to email me. My work email is amy at Crafthouse Cocktails. Okay. And so I, I am always, always, I you know, I, I feel very fortunate of the people that have possibly positively impacted my career and my life over the years. So anytime I have the opportunity to do something like that for someone else, I'm thrilled. Oh, great. Well, thank you. And I hope, I hope people do feel comfortable reaching out to you. And so again, with that, thank you for, ha- for, for being on. And I look forward to talking to you again in the, the future. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle again. Just one more thing before you take off. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash boss track or sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It's easy to sign up and easy to cancel. Every Monday, we send out a short exclusive newsletter of what we found during the week that we're excited about, we're inspired by, and we're watching and reading. If you'd like to check it out, just to go to thebosstrack.com forward slash newsletter. Just type that into your browser, thebosstrack.com forward slash newsletter. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.